The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Approaching nine minutes after eight, you're listening to The Forum at Eight. Today we're talking about, are we becoming South Africa's, are we becoming the African continent's peacemaker? Uh, the Defence Minister, Nosivio Mapisa Nakula, concluding her visit to deployed soldiers in the deployed in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The visit saw her going to the front lines of the conflict in the eastern parts of uh, the DRC, where a South African battalion is deployed as part of the new Force Intervention Brigade. It's known as the FIB. Uh, she also visited the Mura military base, some 120 kilometers outside of uh, Congo's second largest city, where the SANDF is training Congolese soldiers, preparing for an eventual pullout of the UN peacekeepers. Congo has the largest peacekeeping mission, largely deployed in eastern parts of the DRC, where the continent has had the longest-running battle. On the Forum at 8, we're talking about South Africa's peacekeeping involvement on the continent. And the question I have is, uh, are we becoming the peacemaker in Africa? And we've got uh, three guests to tell us what they think about this. Aisha Kaji joins me on the line. She's the independent Africa analyst. Matlatse Gallens, our deputy political editor, has just returned from the Congo. And Minister Nosiviwe Maipisa Ngakula, the defense and military veterans minister. Ladies, thank you so much for your time and appreciate it this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, let's start, off, uh, first of all, with, with you, Minister. You just returned from the Congo. Uh, what did you see and, and what did you hear while you were there? Good morning. Good morning to the listeners. Yes, I'm from the Congo, and I'm happy that I was able to visit our troops who are part of the FIB, the Intervention Brigade, which is deployed by, the, by MONUSCO to the Congo. What I observed in the main is the high morale of our soldiers, not just our African soldiers, Tanzanians and Malawians, very optimistic. It's as though they knew that in less than two days afterwards, the war would be almost over, because we now know that one of the negative forces, M23, has come out to say they are ready to go back to the negotiation table. So I'm very happy, because I think that uh, the high morale and the, the commitment and to the cause that they were there for, what what I believe propelled them to fight to the bitter end so that this tension and this conflict in the Great Lakes come to an end once and for all. The conflict has been been there for a long time, and it got to a point where the UN Security Council and the AU, of course, and the two regions, here, SADAC and the ICGLR, felt that there must come a moment when we would eliminate all the negative forces in that area so that there can be peace, stability, and prosperity in the African continent. Because one country that has a problem affects the entire continent. You say high morale of the soldiers, and uh, Matlatse Gallens, our, our deputy political editor, also joined you during that trip. Matlatse, would you agree with the minister, with the, minister with, the, with the soldiers in high spirit? Because there has been some criticism of the soldiers, uh, a lack of loyalty, that they w- were acting cowardly and, and disorganized. Uh, but the minister is saying otherwise. You know, uh, with the South African contingent that is there, backed up with the Tanzanians and also the Malawians, their mission in the Congo now has a different mandate. Theirs is also to go on the offensive against uh, M23, and there was good cooperation between the three countries in terms of how do they then attack uh, and pursue the M23. I mean, areas that we went to, Kiwanja, for example, was an area where 
the M23 was large and in charge for about 20 months since uh, they left the Congolese army. And there was strategy and there was a plan and they managed to actually get them out of that region. And it was, if you look at uh, the map of uh, the Eastern Congo, in terms of how hard they were to try and push them out of uh, those strongholds, it was quite a determined plan, uh, backed up, of course, by the Congolese army. But I think that the high morale also comes from this effort from the region to say that this is a war that must come to and as soon as possible and everybody seems to understand that it's a war that the region is very fed up with and they would like to see it come to an end and the soldiers were quite determined they have been uh, resourced in terms of what they need to actually do the work they've got the mandate to actually go after the the, 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 the negative forces which is quite different because we've had the UN peacekeepers in that region for such a long time and we saw last year M23 was able to waltz into Goma and the situation now was very very different and I think also the other contributing factor is that perhaps we're beginning to see the results of years of trying to rebuild the Congolese army because that is one of the biggest challenges that they had rebuilding it after the conflict uh, that they had in that region and, it, and when speaking to the force commander for MONUSCO and also uh, the brigade commander for the FIB, they are saying that they're finding that the Congolese army was also more determined, better trained and ready to come to the party as well. I think those were the also contributing factor. But I think the other one has also largely been around what we saw with the pressure on Rwanda because we know that the UN experts report keeps repeating that Rwanda was backing the army and we saw America taking a stand withdrawing military aid from Rwanda. And I think those contributing factors are the ones that have helped to at least win part of uh, the war in the Congo in terms of dislodging the M23 and now we've seen them saying that we are giving up uh, the rebellion. Well, we do invite your phone calls in the program today. If you'd like to do so, 0891 <laughs> SMS me right now at 34701. You can also email amlive at safm.co.za. Tweet or Facebook me as well. Joining me on the line is uh, Aisha Kaji as well. She's an independent Africa analyst. Aisha, once again, thanks so much for your time. I- I'd like to get what, what, is, what is your picture of the DRC? We've had uh, uh, two pictures painted so far by, by our political editor and, and the, the minister, but what's your take? on this country that's largely been reported as war-torn, uh, a GDP that, that's failing in, in its economy, and the poorest country still on the African continent? Well, um, you know, I think, I think that what both of your other guests have reported is very much what they've probably seen on the ground right now. The bigger picture, of course, is that DRC is a huge country. It's incredibly resource-rich. It's a country with very porous borders with around nine or ten other countries. And it's a country that has been the battleground for resources, not only for international, multinational corporations, but also from the frontline states bordering it, which is why countries such as Rwanda, Uganda, um, etc., even as far afield as Angola and Zimbabwe, have been involved in the various wars in the DRC. So it is a country right now that is recovering from conflict and still has these pockets of conflict as we see in northern Kivu, where the M23 have been operating allegedly and with a fair de- degree of, of, of supporting evidence um, with the military aid of the Rwandan army. Um, there are, of course, reasons behind this that go back to the Rwandese genocide, etc. But what your deputy, deputy editor has said, that the, you know, the Rwandese have bowed somewhat to international pressure, given that there's been 
fairly solid evidence uh, proving their their involvement in M23 and supporting M23. And the fact that they've now chosen to, if not disengaged entirely, but at least they haven't been directly involved in the latest military operations of M23. And that has partly led led in part to the fact that M23 is now ready to negotiate, ready to demobilize and disarm. The other big factor, of course, in this particular fairly localized conflict is the um, mandate of the intervention brigade, the FIB, because that brigade has got, you know, as as, uh, the minister pointed out, firstly it's comprised of South Africans, Tanzanians and Malawians who are not frontline states nationals. So they don't have vested interests, so one hopes that the vested interests are at least a degree or two removed, if you understand what I mean. Um, And so they have been effective because they don't have vested interests, but also largely because they have had a mandate to use force that the greater component of Monuk, the the UN peacekeeping force in um, the Congo, has not had. And thirdly, they have been effective because they have been ready together with Monuk to work with some units, not all units, some units, those that have been well-trained and been more disciplined of the Congolese army. And, of course, the Congolese army forces are those forces who best know the local geography, the local mm-hmm. culture, the social mm-hmm. politics, and the economic or political economy of the region. Mm-hmm. And, therefore, they're more likely to get success in terms of intelligence gathering, etc. I, I want to involve our listeners in on this conversation, 0891104208. And we're, we're going to zoom out of the DRC as well to talk more broadly about Africa. We need to see the forest for the trees, as they say. Uh, Haley calling in from Johannesburg. Uh, she says uh, we need to see stability. So, so, uh, rather, he, sees, uh, he says we need to see a stable security in Africa. Haley, hi. Hi, good morning to you morning. and to the listeners uh, of South Africa and Africa and as world. Look, what I want to say... Uh, we may not have a peace in Africa for a long period because of the high interest of the West. It's going to destabilize the continent. And the South Africa is not doing much to protect Africa or the interests of Africa because South Africa as well, they are interested for the mineral resource in Africa, whether in the DRC or Central or Sudan, they got their own machine we know. South Africa are not protecting their own African citizens who live in their country like migrants. There's everyday genocide, massacre, killing in their own country. But it's a shame for them. They say they are brainwashed to protect Africa. Lamini Zuma was appointed and that assignment was given for the AU there. AU is a white elephant in Africa which cannot do and protect anything of other Africans. We need to have the Africa-based center military without backing up the UN to protect Africa based in Africa so that each and every country can contribute five military jets, ten tanks. problem arises anywhere in Africa, we can deploy any time. Look at now what we're facing as an African, as a migrant who lived for 19 years in this country. What I'm saying, the police of South Africa is in Nazi Germany. Like the Nazi Holocaust in Germany killed 6,000 Jews, whatever. Mm. So this happening in South Africa every day, the Nazi attack to our black Africans. The black apartheid in this country over the black African migrant. I was calling upon this chance, you know, the African migrant collision, unite with the citizen, protect and raise the voice. 
But I know a very burning issue. Let me tell you what's happening to my original country, Ethiopia. The Indians and the Chinese, they buy land out. While I was sitting in South Africa right now, I see all the things, transaction is done illegally by the Ethiopian government. The land was sold out. The country was sold out. Of course, our country never been colonized. My ancestors protect the resource. Mm. But now we lost that because of. As you know, the African leaders, they are not highly intellect. They don't have education background. Anyone can choose their mind. Like this country is ruled by the Guptas. You know, they, they take the command from the Gupta, from the India. Every policy, the Home Affairs policy, migrants, we don't have a proper document in the citizenship in this land. Really? We have so many points to rise. Thank you for that. Much Thank you very much, Haley. Uh, taking us a little bit off track, but I, but I think uh, we hear much of his points in Ethiopia National Day. Haley calling in. I've uh, got Moses on the line, Arnold and Mike. Uh, let's try to take as many of you as possible. Moses in Cape Town, hi. Uh, good morning, uh, Hi, good morning, Moses. You South Africa soldiers, they are there in Congo only to run business. They are not there to enter people as they went there. The military's day was, it was last time in Congo, a time of election, as the subject people, they did support the strict election by Kabila. The men who win the election, they did deny him to give him a post. Now, there is this fight, they must deal with them. They, they know what is the meaning of M23. It's March 23rd agreement. Uh, agreement with who? Well, it was the agreement that... that uh, Moses, what, what's your point? We, we don't have a lot of time. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> the Kabili did uh, sign a contract with those people. Now we deny that contract. Last time, June, when they, they did sign another contract for this uh, a younger project, you don't think Kabili will respect that contract? There's still going to be a fight in Congo and team. I see your point. Okay, uh, yeah. thanks very thank much you. for calling in. Arnold and Mike, can go ahead. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I should thank uh, first uh, uh, the South African people. I mean, I've been here for 21 years, uh, but I'm Congolese origin, mm-hmm. uh, for the involvement of South Africa. I mean, they've been raped. Women have been brutalized. And, um, you know, we appreciate what South Africa has done, really. We say thank you to the minister. Uh, thank you to the soldiers to, who have shed their blood. But having said that, you know, uh, it will be just a waste of time and resources if we just send people, we just send soldiers to die, and if we don't know what is the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is uh, the failure of the DRC state. The failure of the DRC state because the president is weak, um, is maybe of Rwandan origin, and the army is full of uh, Rwandese and all those things. That's why they can't fight. And that is a big problem in Congo. And now the, the president wants also to go beyond 2016. This is his last mandate. So if they don't address that, in 2016, they'll rig election or they'll prolong things. Then we'll go to 2020 and there'll be a problem. So whatever M20G was saying, they had dealings with Kabila. That's why they went to war. And all the list of revendication that I was saying, what they were saying is true. There are still problems in Congo because of the government of Kabila. So they have to address that. So the minister has to go beyond the cooperation between Congo and South Africa, and they must go to the root of the problem. That is the weakness of the state, and that is the failure of Kabila to govern DRC properly. That is the problem. Arnold, thanks for your call. We've got another Congolese national calling in from Melrose. Mike, hi. Yeah, this is Mike. 
Mike, go ahead. What are your I, thoughts? I totally agree with the previous caller. What the problem in Congo is, is not the war. Congolese are not fighters. You know it very well, and everyone knows it very well. What is happening is South Africa has been supporting Tabita for a long time now. They went for 4 plus 1, which they know very well in 2001. They went for cheating in 2006, and now they did it with Kabila. That is completely a wrong impression they are giving to the world that they are trying to help Congo. They must go to the deep of the problem, which is the blast to go. They have cheated. Now it's for a third time. Congolese are not fighters. Congolese like peace. You can see it where we are living right now in South Africa. We are not fighters. They must tell us what is going on. The true problem is Kabila has to go. Thanks Congolese so are not fighters. Mike, appreciate your call there. Randis are not Congolese. They know it very well. Why are you trying to, to lie to the world? Say what is going on, please, people. Congolese have been dying. Blood has been fought for a long time. Please mm. be telling the truth. That is a lie. The minister must tell us the truth. Mike, they we must hear tell you. us what is going on. Exactly. It's not a war. It's political. Please. Thanks, Thanks very much for your call. Mike people in Melrose. We appreciate your call there from... Uh, Melrose, Mike, uh, Congolese National. Well, he says it's not about the Congolese. It's about the question of leadership. And, uh, Minister, if, if you can address this point, and I guess, again, can I come in now? Because I'm, you are doing a program and I'm in Namibia. You know? Um, so, can I just say something quickly Minister, on behalf please, of South Africa? Go ahead. One, one, I'm told that we should be telling the truth about what is happening mm. in the Congo. It's the Congolese that actually must tell the truth about what is happening in the what I do know is what we are part of it by national, we have a bilateral, bilateral agreement with the Congolese. We're part of the region that is trying to assist the Congo to resolve some of its problems. We are now part of an effort between the ICGLR and SADAC to assist the Congolese to actually deal with some of the matters that he has raised. The reason why we are part of that FIP is precisely because we know that women have been raped, women have been mutilated, Women, the most vulnerable groups of women and children, have been violated by the rebels in that area. And that is why, in fact, we are in there. We are there because we believe that there has to be peace and stability in Congo. There has to be peace and stability in the continent. And in order for us to have peace and stability in the Congo, in, in, in the continent, we therefore need stability in the DRC, fully knowing that the conflict in the Congo has been there for many, many years. However, I think we should all appreciate the fact that, for once, the two regions came together, supported by the African Union and the UN, to say, let us deal with this problem once and for all. And, of course, on the same line, we have a, a framework that has been developed by the head of state under the auspices of the UN of other ways of assisting the Democratic Republic of Congo, including assisting Congo to set up its government structures in some of the areas where, for instance, you don't even have a police station precisely because the areas are occupied. So it's not just about a military solution. In fact, the military solution is in support of a negotiated effort to make sure that the political problems of the Congo are discussed and get to a point where people reach a consensus on those matters in the same way that we did in South Africa. Let us always remember that we are where we are now as a country. We acquired our freedom because of South African solidarity. Solidarity 
from some of the most the poorest of countries who came together and say we will fight against apartheid, we'll rally behind South Africans, and that is exactly what we do. So what we do in the Congo, in fact, is in support of our own foreign policy objective of assisting other African countries where there are challenges. Lastly, I do want to say that the good thing this time around that there's recognition by all of us, including the UN Security Council, that the problems of the African continent can be resolved by Africans themselves because here we do have resources. If you look at the resources that we need to immobilize the negative forces in the area, at least the one group of the negative forces, it is resources that have been mobilized from within the continent. So I, I think that uh, with all of the things that people have said, I mean, somebody from Ethiopia says he's been here for 18 years, mm. and he says because of his challenges in Ethiopia, if there were challenges in South Africa, he wouldn't be here. I'm sure he is here because he recognizes that there is something good about South Africa. And, of course, what we know from our side, there is no conflict right now in Ethiopia. If anything, that's where our African Union headquarters is based, is located. And what we know is that people should strive to assist whatever country they come from to, 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 to establish reconstruction and development, participate in the reconstruction and development and establish peace and prosperity in their countries. Minister, we welcome migrants, but we, we certainly take serious exceptions when people are not part of the solution in their problems, but they see every mistake and problem in the efforts that we are making to assist those, those, uh, those countries to come into, into their, uh, to, to a solution of their problems. I Minister, there's, there's also questions around the vested interests of South Africa when we can yes. get involved in these conflicts. And, and Haley did mention uh, the Indian and the Chinese uh, governments well, involved in Ethiopia. I about Indians and, and Chinese in Ethiopia. But what I want to say is that our national interest anywhere we go is directly linked to the national, to the interest of the continent. If, if they feel strongly that South Africa has a national interest, it would be linked to the interests of the continent. We are not a, 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 a state of mercenaries that go into countries and get the resources of those countries. We've seen it elsewhere. We've seen other people doing that. But this democracy that we stand for, our state, together with the support of the National Defense Force, has gone in there because we believe it is the right thing to do. We support our foreign policy objectives, and we believe that there can never be development where there is no peace and stability, where there is no prosperity. Prosperity can only be there when there is development in those countries. And that's the only reason why we are there. And, of course, as I said, national interest directly linked to the interest of the rest of the continent. South Africa can never be accused of having national interest that is not linked to what is happening in Defense the Minister Nasi Vibama Pisang Akula joining us on the line. Also have uh, our political editor, Matlatsi Galenzen, Aisha Kaji, an independent Africa analyst. It's uh, just after 8.30. Let's get your news headlines now with Fubakshi.
and it's 25 to 9. Rowena Bird comes up at 9 o'clock with Morning Talk. Rowena, good morning. What are you talking hey about Hey there. How are you, Dosh? And coming okay. up on my uh, Morning Talk today, we'll take a look at the ESCOM accident which claimed the lives, uh, lives of six men last week. That's in the first half hour. We'll then ask the question if the Truth and Reconciliation Commission failed to resolve conflict between South Africans. We'll also focus on an entrepreneurial culture which is developing in townships, particularly in Kaelicha in the Western Cape. Later on, we'll focus on cultural diversity in South Africa in terms of religion and languages. And then to close the program, we'll, look, uh, we'll talk about the, the status of the South African marine fishery resources. That's the show for today, Darshan. Thanks so much, Rowena. Uh, returning to our guest, talking today about South Africa's peacekeeping involvement on the continent, not just in DRC. Of course, we're involved in a number of peacekeeping operations, and largely from the SMSs that we're receiving. David Mtunzi Mabato and Kosipi from Peter Marisburg in, in Hofmeyer and uh, Palang Makele uh, also on Facebook saying South Africa's no longer becoming the peacemaker. We've actually become the new colonial masters on the continent. We're war prone. We're only getting involved for our own vested interests, business interests. Uh, that we have, for example, in the coup d'etat in the CAR, and, and uh, Palang even saying it's a huge responsibility on us that we don't think that we lead in these project interims uh, of, of resources. The car, CAR might uh, repeat itself again, otherwise he warns. Minister, I'd like you to talk about the, the involvements that we have on the continent, and uh, she's joining us on the line from uh, Namibia, and so we're having a little bit of difficulty with her line, so uh, we're going to try to get her back on the line. Uh, Minister Novis Nosiviwe Mapisan Akula joining us on the line from uh, Namibia, as we said. But let's uh, involve our, our guests again, uh, Aisha Kaji also on the line. Aisha, if perhaps you can take us out of the Congo now and talk just a little bit broadly about, uh, you know, in terms of our, our conflicts on the continent. Aisha Kaji also dropping us on the line as well. So, Michelle, that leaves us with just you. I'm sorry, but last, but uh, definitely not least. You know about the conflicts that we've been reporting on them in CAR as well. We had a number of soldiers dying there earlier this year as well. L- let's talk about peacekeeping operations on the continent large. How, how heavily involved is South African peacekeeping? The other peace uh, contingent we have is, of course, in the Sudan, and that's one of also the continent's longest-running battles, and uh, that's where South Africans have been largely involved in trying to keep peace there, obviously with a different mandate from what we know with the new FIB in uh, the Congo. But I think what is also coming through is that there's always going to be that difficulty of balance in terms of why exactly is South Africa in some of these countries. I think we saw it with the CAR, Central Africa Republic, where government had to constantly uh, explain why South Africa was involved in the CR, mm. as opposed perhaps to what we are doing perhaps in the DRC. Uh, on largely when we were there in 2011 elections, there was this growing anti-South African sentiment, especially in Kinshasa, which is very far from the conflict in the East because of how vast uh, the country is. But when you were in Kinshasa, people felt like South Africa was mainly involved there to try and prop up uh, President Joseph Kabila's government. We know that we were heavily involved with uh, the distribution and the printing of ballots during those elections. I mean, the election almost fell apart and South Africa came in to help with the distribution of those ballots. And 
from Kinshasa, there was this sentiment that says that we are only doing this for the business interest. And, of course, the Grand Inga, which has been a project that we've been talking about for quite some time, people saying that our involvement there is mostly to get uh, business interest out of those countries. But then when you are in the east on the other side where people are actually living under the reign of terror of these negative forces, a bit more appreciation of the work that the South African soldiers, Tanzanians and Malawians and the other uh, members of the peacekeeping mission are doing and it's that conflict of which one comes first can you have development first or do you need to you, you need to have peace first and then you can have development but as the country grows especially the Congo where uh, after so many years of democracy people are beginning to demand more from the Congolese government and in terms of development in terms of jobs in terms of taking them out of poverty and that's why you're seeing these two differences of views of what South Africa is doing within that country. So I guess it's a question of whose interests do you take first? Is it the questions of the, the propping up a government, or is it the rebels' interests, or is it the interests of the people who say they're subjugated and living under uh, under this this rule by uh, by, by terrorists? Uh, Aisha Kaji, back on the line, uh, independent Africa analyst. It's a difficult game that South Africa has to play. Who do we support in these conflicts uh, throughout Africa? Absolutely, it is difficult. Um, however, you know, to some extent, South Africa's national interest will play a role. There is no doubt about that. But, you know, what is that national interest? It is not always a national interest that is looking for trade links, although, of course, that is never going to go away. It is also a national interest that is looking for regional and neighborhood stability. And that is the reason South Africa has invested a huge number of resources from as early as 2003 in um, the DRC to bring about stability there, to, um, you know, assist in a very, very big way with both of the last elections um, and also to ensure that the pockets of violence or to try and ensure that the pockets of violence that sporadically arise in areas like the, the two Kivu provinces are, um, to some extent, again, uh, assisted in terms of moving back to a stable situation. So the, the question of interest is never going to go away, and each country does indeed admittedly act in its own national interest, but it is in South Africa's interest and in the interest of other countries on the continent and in the region that the DRC becomes a stable, peaceful, and prosperous country for the citizens of Congo. Where else are we deployed and assisting in peacekeeping operations? We mentioned uh, the DRC, we mentioned CAR. Are there other conflicts? Yes, we have uh, small numbers of, of South African troops in um, Burundi at present. Um, and I believe we also have South African troops in Cote d'Ivoire in, in West Africa. Um, if, not, if not actual military troops, certainly advisory. Where do the, the funds come from to support the establishment of, of, of these troops on the ground? And uh, we also need to t talk about the, the, the support for the intervention brigade and, and, and other mm -hmm. standby forces uh, that we want to establish. Well, Darshan, initially in 2003 when the new look AU was in, uh, unveiled, if you will, there was a plan for an African standby force, the, the so-called ASF, of over 30,000 um, members, you know, armed uh, troops, uh, personnel ready to go um, throughout the continent. And these were to be drawn from the regional standby brigades of the five regional communities, SADC, uh, ECOWAS, etc. Um, now, some of those standby brigades have been quicker to begin to operationalize than others. 
as might be expected based on the on the resources that each region can command, based on the military capability of each region, etc. So, for example, in SADC, the standby brigade is fairly well resourced. So, so too in ECOWAS, less so perhaps in the central region. To uh, a lesser extent, the eastern region now also has a nascent standby brigade. So we are making progress, but it's taking a lot of time. And part of the reason for that is the question of resources that you've just raised. Those resources include not just financial ones, but also the military resources in terms of the military technology and ammunition and arms power, if you will. Time to raise resources, but also time to deploy those resources. It takes us a long time before we get involved. Uh, Libya is an example of of a country that was waiting for the involvement from the African Union and and waiting for an intervention brigade. Mm -hmm. It didn't see it for a long time. And, and, you know, questions were asked about Africa's involvement and how much we do to solve our own problems. Absolutely. And I think this is one reason why the PSC mooted this idea of a standby force. As I said, it's taken a long time. And as you say, it takes a long time to deploy which is why we now come to this proposal for a crisis intervention um, uh, you know, unit almost uh, along the lines of, of um, Sherbrigade, as it was known, you know, the Danish-led force that uh, was formed in 2000 uh, as a direct consequence of, of the failure to act in the case of the Rwandan genocide. So we do need something like a crisis intervention brigade. Again, where do the resources come from? Well, I would submit quite respectfully, that the resources need to come from within Africa. And, you know, we, we then turn around and say that Africa is a poor continent. Actually, it's not. It's just an ill-managed one. The African capacity for immediate response to crises has been what, right. what we've been talking about recently. It's only the precursor to what's been mooted for the last 10, 15 years, which is the African standby Stand force. force. That's right. Matlatsa, you, you were, were t- attending the conference recently, and, and a number of the ministers that attended, leaders, we had uh, peculiar by his absence, uh, the Rwandan president. Uh, what does that say about the involvement of Africa and how willing we are to commit troops to these standby forces? I think, I mean, uh, just looking at the peacekeeping mission in the Congo, it is quite a costly affair. I mean, we are talking budgets of $1.4 billion for the peacekeeping mission there, which is just about 20000 uh uh, men in blue on the ground and that, that is going to be the big challenge for the nations to put uh, to put together those resources and make them available for, so that we can actually have an effective standby force that will be able to respond immediately I mean we've had crises in Mali for example, there was no uh, immediate response where you actually end up relying on France for example to come in and try and resolve those issues and I think this meeting, one of the things that it needed to do was to ensure that countries commit not only uh, with the number of boots, but also the money that is supposed to support the standby force and have that transparent and have all countries committing to it. And we'll see if that actually happens, because that has been one of the biggest challenges with the standby force. The minister, the defense minister, uh, had been joining us on the line from Namibia, but we're having a bit of difficulty reconnecting with her on that line. Uh, we're going to continue trying to do so, but uh, we are joined in studio by uh, Matlatsi Gallens, our tep- deputy political editor, and on the line, Aisha Kaji, independent Africa analyst. There's always going to be questions about why we get involved in conflicts, and, and, and we're still receiving SMSs uh, from, from listeners and uh, our guests talking about 
you know, our vested interests in, in these rather resource-rich countries where we look to, uh, to, to solve conflicts. Aisha, is there any way for us to balance those interests? Yes, there is. As I said earlier, the, the question of national interest and especially strategic economic interest is not going to go away. Of course, South Africa um, and South African companies want to get in on the scramble for resources in, in a very, very resource-rich co- country such as um, the Congo. You know, the Congo has got, for example, um, uh, huge deposits of oil, uranium, gold, platinum, um, and then, of course, things like coltan, which are used in the manufacture of cell phones and are quite rare. So, you know, if you go, if you take a visit to the area around Goma, you will see that about 30 kilometers out of the actual city, the Goma is a city of about 1 million, which N23 controlled until um, fairly recently. And if you, if you will actually see that there are roads which are no longer in use as roads because they haven't been kept up as roads, but are actually used as um, landing strips for small aircrafts allegedly belonging to multinational corporations. And allegations are that some South African um, businesses are involved in those as well. We're not going to shed that image, though, if we continue to lead business delegations at the same time as we lead these, these peacekeeping delegations to these countries. Absolutely. But we will continue to lead business delegations. I think what we need to do is to get our priorities straight. And our priorities must be, A, that we should not be investing in trade and business and economic related ways in a country where there is a lack of stability because we all know what happens in those cases. There is a lot of illegal transfer of resources. You end up with blood on your hands, quite frankly. We're going to open up the line shortly on 0891104208, but first up, let's take a short break. What's the difference between a boardroom and a boldroom? In a boardroom, ideas are presented. In a boldroom, astonishing possibilities leap forward from the brave minds of those who are shaping the future. Cecil Nurse is not just providing furniture. It's providing possibilities. With the widest range of business furniture in stock and ready to go. Visit cnonline.co.za. Cecil Nurse Business Furniture. Your office delivered. A proudly Bidvest company. What does to prosper mean to you with ABSA Rewards? It means earning real cash back every time I swipe my ABSA card. It's knowing that some of what I spent on that new full set of tires is coming back to me. It's the peace of mind of knowing that the security system I paid for is paying money back to me. With ABSA Cash Rewards, it all adds up. Every time you swipe your ABSA debit, check or credit card, you earn real cash back for you to spend as you like. To join ABSA Rewards, SMS Rewards to 31513. ABSA, member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. Standard SMS rates apply. We don't know whether you'll be around to see your children grow up. We don't know whether you'll be there to pick them up when they fail or barter with them to get that A. We just don't know that. But we do know that if the worst did happen to you, someone still needs to pay for their education whether it's UCT, Harvard, or the primary school down the road. So we'll pay for that, as well as their school shoes and stationery. No, we don't know whether you'll be around to see your children grow up, but we do know that nothing should stop them getting an education. The Educator Benefit. To give your family the Liberty Advantage, visit liberty.co.za or speak to your broker. Ask her. She'll know. Liberty. The Advantage of Knowing. 
Liberty is an authorized financial services provider. T's and C's apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. On the Forum at 8, talking about South Africa's peacekeeping involvement on the continent. Uh, we were joined earlier by the Defense Minister, but we're having difficulty connecting with her in Namibia. So we're going to try to connect with one of her assistants here uh, back in South Africa. So do stay tuned, and uh, we'll hopefully get some answers on this. Uh, also joined on the line, Aisha Kaji, Independent Africa Analyst, and Matlasi Gallen's Deputy Political Editor. Ladies, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Matlasi, let's talk a little bit about how effective we are as a peacekeeping operation, as peacekeepers on the African continent. You've traveled through much of Africa. What's the impression you get? The impression that I get uh, is that there is a lot of trust in the South African National Defense Force. Where they have been, they have made an impact. And they are well-resourced in terms of support from back home. Uh, Now in the Congo, for example, uh, you know, we had the Rafals coming in as part of uh, supporting the mission there to give them some more air support. And largely it appears that we have well-trained soldiers that are able to come to the task. Uh, I mean, in the previous years that I've been, I've traveled to the Congo, you know, uh, the soldiers will tell you stories of having to go and rescue the other peacekeeping, uh, the other teens from the other countries in very difficult situations. But uh, of course, the biggest challenge will always be establishing trust with the local communities. And uh, we, we in, we're in a place where we've been in the Eastern Congo for quite some time. Kiwanja was uh, one of the recently the uh, the soldiers were moved to that area. Sake, the South African soldiers, have been there for quite some time. Establishing that relationship of trust with the locals is always the biggest thing that they have to obviously uh, establish immediately on. We, we have another call from uh, Mike Ramakomet, the Special Advisor to the Defence Minister. Uh, Mr. Ramakomet, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, and, and good morning to the listeners and your panel. I'm not sure how much of the discussion you've heard so far, but, but what's your take on it so, uh, at this point? Um, firstly, I just want to apologize that the minister had to, to, to rush to the BNC with Namibia. Um, the, the, I think that most of the points um, that have been raised um, are relevant to the issue. And it's high time that South Africans need to understand and debate why, what the reasons why we participate in the continent, whether politically and uh, with the support of the military. But I wanted to speak to the issue of national interest. Mm. Um, because I think it is important that we differentiate between national interest and the, the interest of an individual businessman who might decide because the political environment is open enough to allow opportunity for him to do business. The, the, the jointness of the, of the interest of the continent and its destiny is not a new concept. You will remember that during uh, our own struggle for, for freedom against apartheid, the rally call of African solidarity was always that Africa cannot, cannot truly be free until we in the South ourselves are free. And that expressed the fact that the continent's solution to its problem has to be a joint one, and it must bring together and harness the various resources that are all over the continent. And no one country possesses all these resources. Uh, those resources could be about knowledge, could be about skills, could be about food security, could be about um, state, cap- state capacity, and so on and so on. If we allow a situation where in one region or one country those are plundered or disorganized, it makes an impact on the rest of us because Africa needs to be able to rise, and it does have enough resources, as your, as your analyst was saying, to deal with its own problems. The problem is that those resources 
whether they be our natural resources, minerals or whatever, are not based at one place and they need to be unnerved and be channeled in a strategic way towards a common solution. And if we have one one um, uh, region such as the Great Lakes and it has had instability for a very long period of time, then it makes it difficult for us to, to be able to move the continent forward and it affects us all of us in the long term. Including here in South Africa. How long before we have an African standby force so Africa can solve its own problems? And taking into account what the World Bank, the IMF, has been calling for greater regional integration. If our neighbours are doing better, so do we. So an African standby force to end crises very quickly and effectively on the continent is much needed. Why have we been talking about it for so long and not actually acting upon it? Yes, I think the, the, the African standby force is the responsibility of the entire continent. Now, it is not just an issue of, um, of, 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 of the force being a military uh, solution and intervention. It always, it, al- it always follows the politics of the continent. Now, if, if in the continent we need to discuss and agree about how this force will be used, what will be the areas of intervention, what are the instruments that we need to develop in order for it to be guided and, uh, and, 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 and utilized, where there are differences of interest, and here I talk about a different kind of interest, where someone in the continent might feel if it is structured in this way, it will affect me and my immediate situation, and so and so on. Because you must remember, it is the same leadership of the continent that must discuss how it must be formulated. So those discussions and convincing each other have taken some time. And, of course, there's been an issue of resources, uh, because each country needs to pledge. However, what we have done now in the meantime is to say while those discussions are going ahead, we cannot leave the situation as it is. And that is why the last uh, heads of state summit has agreed that a, a, a rapid deployment capability must be created in the meantime, which will be a rapid deployment capability of, uh, as a stopgap measure for those countries with the necessary capacity that can come together. But um, the modalities of that are, are very much advanced in discussions. And as we are aware, the, 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 there's been a, there's been various discussions, including last week, of 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 of, of a move towards that 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 solution as a stopgap measure. Michael Mukoma, we'll come back to you just for your closing thoughts, but I want to give my guests a chance to to give us their closing thoughts. Michelle Gallen's uh, first up, our deputy political editor. What do you think? I think uh, the biggest thing that South Africa has to be decisive about is which countries are we going to and what is the situation in those countries. In the CR, for example, there were questions mm. about how President Pozize had actually come to power, what actually were our interest in that country, was it individual companies that we were protecting, was it a national interest, and uh, on the other side also we have to balance the two. We have to be in the country for the right reasons to help bring about stability. Obviously there will always be national interest, but the kind of governments that we are supporting will be the big question that we have to see going forward. And it needs to be a quick response and an effective one. Aisha Kaji, uh, your closing thoughts? Well, exactly what your deputy editor said, basically. We need to question why we're in certain countries, whether we are there for legitimate purposes and upholding or, or supporting a legitimate uh, authority in the interests of the people on the ground rather than the elites. 
That's the first question. Secondly, what are the resources that will be needed and what will be the length of stay? These are not the kind of things Parliament is currently um, scrutinizing when we deploy forces, for example, in the CAR. So we need to actually scrutinize this. And then what must South Africa's contribution to uh, a crisis uh, force be, intervention force be, um, and are we going to be able to sustain that in the long term? Will the other countries on the continent come to the party and how can they be encouraged to do so? Mr. Ramakoma, do you think that can be done? Thank you, yes. Um, and I just also want to, to clarify that South Africa never uh, deploys into the, any place in the continent to support any particular government in a, in a country. South Africa has always had the view that deployment must be through multilateral means if it is for peacekeeping or peace enforcement. However, we need to differentiate that between those technical capacities that once a state has been uh, through reconstruction and they want to rebuild their own force and training and capability, we then go into a process called disarmament uh, uh, and, 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 and reintegration. Now, that is a different one. And I think in the CAR, what happened is that while South Africa was doing that work, then there were fo- our forces were attacked and were forced to, fo- to send in more troops to have to engage. But I think what the two panelists are saying is correct. I think we need a, a, a more involved discussion because it doesn't help for South Africa to go into these areas without the whole nation understanding why we are there because that is what then creates problems amongst ourselves in the country if something goes wrong. Mike Ramakoma, thank you very much. With, with respect, I don't see how VIP protection for the president actually forms into, falls into disarmament, uh, demobilization and reintegration, sir. Topic for another day. Unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there. We yeah, have run out of time. I think it's a very opportunistic jab up uh, what you are doing because you know that very well that I won't be able to respond to that if you make a wrong innuendo. But we yes, have every we'll discuss Mike Ramakoma, unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there with our guests. Uh, thanks so much to our team, Tracy Boomgard, uh, Misha Shandlali and Swaki and Kwenzakila and Tlati, senior producers, Lungila Mabasu and Tlengiwa Mabasu, technical producer and Tokozo Kuzwayo, forum producers, Ronald Piri and Jake Makomo, chief producer, Bozilo Kosa, executive producers, Busi Chane and Aubrey Sitchia. Thanks so much to my guests and a final jab there as well as uh, Mike says. Well, we'll leave it there for you. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, we'll join you again 6 to 9 a.m. tomorrow. Goodbye.